right. Billy Williams. I don't know that we've actually ever sat down one-on-one and, and recorded that conversation. And I'm kind of excited to do that today. Well, thank you, Joe. I'm, I'm honored. And, you know, I mean, so it's, it's interesting, you know, um, I wanted to, I thought, I mean, outside of being, you know, just dramatically overdue, one kind of thing I wanted to let everybody know first is I think we, we've locked you down. Like you're the first person we had to get back for Elevate 19. And I'm just excited about that. How are you feeling? You know, Joe, one of the things that, that that's important to me, Joe, is that I, I stay humble in what I do because at any moment, you know, you could you could have a heart attack, you could have a stroke, you could get hit by a car, you could you, you just never know what life is going to throw at you. So, I just try to live every moment to its fullest, and I try to stay humble, realizing that everything is temporary, and you just got to make the most of every moment. So, if I come across that as a little bit, uh, I don't know, like like it's not a big deal. It's not that it's not a big deal. It's just again, I try to stay humble with everything. I completely agree, and, and we'll get along just fine, Billy, because, uh, yes, uh, nothing is a big deal, but everything's a big deal kind of sort of thing. Um, and, um, and and so, you know, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by you, and I don't, it's, it's, it's a gift whether you want to admit it to it or not, but you have the ability uh, when you say things to punch people in the mouth, but then set the pillow down before their head hits the ground. And, and kind of make them feel good about everything and then feel like they should go do this thing. But like that said jolt is like, oh man, this sucks. I'm not doing that. But oh, wait a second. Now it makes sense. Is that, is that something that you're aware of or you're intentionally Absolutely. doing? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a trained thing, to be honest with you. It comes from my years in the military. You know, the right. military teaches you to be a leader. That's, that's their whole purpose, at least in the army. That's number one goal. You don't go in there to stay a private. You go in there to learn to be a sergeant, a captain, a major general, whatever it is that you're going to end up being. And so one of the things they teach you is you have to give people the facts, but it doesn't have to be brutal. And so, you know, there's a difference between being brutally honest and just being brutal. (laughs) (laughs) And so I try to make sure that I have that balance, which is, look, you need to do this. You need to understand this. You need to understand where you're screwed up. But there's always a solution. So let me take a moment here and kind of walk through this this life flow that I live by with business and everything else. And I think it'll make a lot more sense to you. I'm excited. Okay. So there's this teaching out by T. Falcon Napier. He's, He's one of my mentors. T. Falcon Napier. Falcon like the bird. And he teaches a program called Master Stream. And Master Stream is looking at life through levels of emotion. And so he breaks it down into facts, goals, obstacles, excuse me, facts, goals, obstacles, solutions, and then emotions. And in life, if you live everything the way that you're supposed to, your emotions should be the last thing you think about. You should go through the process of understanding the facts of the situation and then what are the goals and then what are the obstacles but with each one of those levels you have an emotion attached to it so facts have the lowest level of emotion you are who you are you eat what you eat you drive what you drive you live where you live those have the lowest level of emotions goals have the next level of emotion again think of this like a stream okay not like one linear line but just flowing ebb and flow So the next level up would be 
your goals. What are your goals? What do you want? What are your dreams, aspirations, all that kind of stuff? Then the next level up are your obstacles. What's stopping you from accomplishing your goals? And then the, the flow starts to come back down as soon as you find out that there's a solution. It's like you were all stressed out because you had this problem. But then when someone told you, oh, I can fix this problem, your emotions automatically come down. Okay. And then they should level off and you think about your emotions on, on equal par with your solutions. So that's kind of the up and then down and then even out, right? Well, we as salespeople, guess what we do? Because we don't understand the master stream, we believe that people buy when you provide a solution. When in actuality, people buy when they recognize that you recognize their problems. Okay, so that's that's why I'm such a good salesperson, because I don't sell something when I offer a solution. I sold it when I identified the problem. The solution is just there to kind of control everything. And salespeople that do that poorly or do that badly, Joy, those are the folks that the people will say, hey, da, 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 can you fix this? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then as soon as you give them all this laid out problem, I mean, solution, and I got to fix and I can do this. And they go, oh, let me go see if I can find that somewhere else cheaper. Because so, you're, you're the one that you didn't tell them their baby was ugly, right? <laughs> well, you said, I know your goal is for your baby to be Miss America. Yeah. But reality is. The only way we're going to get your baby to be Miss America is if we fix this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, and this problem. That's the only way we're going to get them to be Miss America. So now, if you want me to fix the problem, I can. So do you think, um, what, what emotion are people challenged with uh, to, to be able to deliver that information? Okay, real simple. Most salespeople live in the wrong parts of the master stream. Most salespeople live in the goals and they live in the solutions. And the weaker salesperson, the weaker you are, the more you live in the goals and the more you live in solutions because those are comfortable levels. See, it's not comfortable to talk to a person about their real issues. It's comfortable to want to be the knight in shining armor and deliver all the stuff that you think is going to make them feel better. That's why customer service people a lot of times are horrible because their whole job is to make you feel better. That's why a lot of salespeople are terrible because they're trying to make you feel better. That's not our job. You've heard me say this multiple times. We have one job in insurance, offer the coverage that will best protect our customers' quality of life should a claim occur. But most salespeople, especially in insurance, we don't want to talk to people about the claim. We don't want to talk to people about the bad. I don't want to mention life insurance. I don't want to mention what will happen when this happens. I just want you to feel good. So I, I, I believe I'm answering your question. I'm not sure. But I think the biggest challenge that most people have is, again, we try to make our customers feel comfortable and make them feel good and make ourselves look like the hero as opposed to addressing the real problems. So, I mean, and, and again, so let's let's go back to that emotion. I think you did. And I might say that insecurity might be that thing that that, that kind of prevents people like they're just not sure about 
the answer or the problem or whatever's going to come after it if they say that thing. Um, right. Possibly. You know what? That's that's a that's a very good point. A lot of people because they're on a because they don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. They don't work the process. And you've heard me say that before. <laughs> yeah. OK, forget the process. I, could, I mean, I mean, forget the outcome. I could care less about the outcome. All I care about is if I work the process, I stand a much greater chance of getting the outcome I want than opposed to trying to work for the outcome. So just work the process. I'm fascinated by this. I don't know that we necessarily intended to be here, but I have to. I've got to. Um, I feel like part of that, of working that process, right, To what makes that go, the feel of it is the emotion of it. So how knowing that it needs to come towards at the end, but there's, I think along the way, like part of it balances it out enough to get to that point. Like what, at, at, is there any sort of in that master's dream sort of thing, how to infuse the right amount of emotion to achieve kind of maximum velocity? Yes. The way you control your emotions is by having a set order of doing things. So if I have a checklist, if I have a workflow, if I have automation, and I have if I have all these different things that give me the exact process to follow, then I don't have to be emotional. I'm emotional when I don't know what to do next. I'm emotional when I don't know what my next step is going to be. You know, if I'm running in the dark, I'm not going to run full speed in the dark because I don't know what I'm going to hit. You know what I mean? So yeah. when you when you have a process or you have a checklist or you have a workflow, it puts a light on the whole process and you're not afraid to run faster. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so but and this is where this is why people are so emotional then, because processes are hard to one define and two be uh, consistent with. Okay, let me talk about that. <laughs> okay, because this is this is my I study this stuff. I'm a geek for this stuff. All right, so a process is really nothing more than a habit. Okay, that's all a process is. It's a habit, and in a business, that habit can be automatic, automated, or a combination of automatic and automated. So, what does that mean? OK, that means if I have a, a habit in my business that every time the phone rings, this is what I expect to happen. And this is what happens. And this is why it happens. That's automatic. But maybe there are certain things that need to happen that are automated. So when the phone rings, I hit this button so I can start recording my message. All right. So I automatically hit the button and I'll allow the automation to start working. And then I have that conversation. And then during that conversation, there should be triggers that automatically spur the conversation on onto something else or a different part of the conversation should happen automatically. And then once that conversation is over, then I automatically should stop hitting the record button so that the automation can start doing its job. And then I send out my confirmation email, all that kind of stuff. So we're on there. Now, let's talk about a habit because the real issue is how do you form the right habits? Okay, because that's where most people have a problem. They don't think of workflows or processes as a business habit, and that's what it is. So I want to make sure I'm not I'm not losing you here, Joe. That we're on the same sheet. So you're are you with me when I say that a process or workflow is should be an automatic 
or should be a, a business habit. I'm about ready to jump out my chair, Billy. I'm good to go. Okay, good. Uh, all right. So let's talk about a habit. A habit has five variables. There's one. Variable number one is the trigger. What triggers this action? Variable number two is the actual action. What actually happens? Variable number three is the desired result. Okay. What do I want? What, is, what do I expect or what do I want to happen once this action happens? Variable number four is, do I have a craving for the result or a fear of repercussion? So I have to have that. I can have all the desire in the world, but if I don't have a craving for that desire or a fear of repercussion, then variable three has no teeth. Okay, it only has teeth when number four is present. And then variable number five is repetition. So let's take it out of insurance and let's take it into a normal habit. Let's say overeating. Okay, so there's something that triggers a person to take the action of overeating. Okay, so the variable one is the trigger, whether it's stress, you know, my mother-in-law comes in the house or the dog does something or the kids are coming home or I just can't handle stuff at work, something. There's some trigger that causes this action. And this is what I do whenever this trigger happens. Variable number three is I have a desired result. Now that desired result might be, it, it just makes me feel better. You know, I wanna feel better. And when I overeat, it makes me feel better. That desired result could be sugar calms me down or, or whatever that, you know, I have a desired result. Number four, though, is where the power is. It's the craving or the fear of repercussion. So we have people that overeat. And I'm not trying to be a psychologist here. OK, I'm just using this as an analogy. We have people that overeat and they know that overeating is going to make them unhealthy. It's going to make them have high blood pressure, diabetes, all these other things. But the fear of repercussion is not strong enough to overcome the or the craving for that desire. It's just not strong enough, okay? And then of course that leads to repetition. Now let's bring it back to business. We pay, and I'm talking about you know in Williams Investment Group or Inspire Nation whenever we're mentoring a customer or client, we teach them to pay three ways. You pay base pay, you pay an enhanced pay, and then you pay your commission. Well, the enhanced pay for us is the teeth. That's the power. That's I'm going to pay you an extra three dollars an hour. And then for that three dollars an hour, I expect you to do my endorsement process this way. I expect you to do my claims process this way. I expect you to do my new customer process this way. Now, the fifteen dollars an hour that I pay you as a base, I'm not going to mess with that. You show up, you're going to get paid fifteen bucks an hour. But if I spot check my processes and I see you're not working my claims process, my endorsement process, my new customer process or whatever other process I chose, you're not working those the way that I want. I'm going to remove that three dollars. I'm going to take it away until the next pay period comes around. and I'll see if you can earn it back. And what I the reason why I did that, people think, oh, you're trying to punish somebody. No, I understand how habits are formed. So the fact that I want you to do it. And the fact that you may even want to do it is not good enough. I have to have something that makes you crave doing it 
or gives you a fear of repercussion for not doing it. Does that make sense, Joey? It does entirely. Okay. And so that $3 to when I talk to agents about it, I say, look, if you don't have an enhanced pay, you're not going to establish a culture in your business. You're not going to establish a habit because then what are you relying on? You're relying on self-discipline. There are four types of disciplines that it takes to run an insurance agency. Self-discipline, accountability, automation and technology, and outsourcing. Let me say that again. The four types of disciplines that it takes to operate a business. Self-discipline, accountability, automation and technology, and then outsourcing. So if you don't have something to help form the habit, if you don't have any type of craving to make people crave either I want the three dollars three dollars really badly or I don't want to lose the three dollars that I've earned, then you're depending on their self-discipline. And self-discipline will always fail you because it's tied to your emotions. So if you are insecure, if you're weak, if you're unsure, if you have doubts, if you have a bad history, if someone cursed you out when you were a child and you know every time someone gets loud with you now, you get nervous. If you have any of that and I'm relying on your self-discipline, that emotion will always override your self-discipline because in the absence of accountability, easy will always trump effective. Okay. A lot to dig in there. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm trying not to get too excited because I, right, so I'm going to go back a little bit and what I want to, so here's the first question. You obviously invest in a lot of agencies. You obviously mentor a lot of agencies mm-hmm. and going back to the, you know, they, you know, providing the solution versus identifying the problem. You know, again, I, I think how many agency owners or, you know, leadership professionals that you kind of work with, even take the time to understand the difference between just how to, how to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. How to be brutally honest and still, again, put the pillow under their head sort of thing. I, I'm going to say it's a low percentage, but please maybe tell me I'm wrong. I would estimate 3% because I have this thing. I say, look, if I, if I talk to, it's probably less than 3%, it's probably 0.03% because I feel like if I talk to a thousand agents and I tell them exactly step by step what they need to do. In fact, that's what my whole video library for with Inspire Nation Business Mentoring. It's step by step, Joey. I mean, I don't I don't even you don't have to think about it. It says, okay, action step one, do this. Action step two, do this. So I give them step by step. If I talk to a thousand agents, maybe three out of that thousand will actually do what I ask them to do. The other ones are gonna modify it and we call it the filtering process, which is I'm going to take whatever I'm unsure about, whatever I'm, whatever I don't know, whatever I'm afraid that my people are going to see a weakness in me, uh, whatever. I'm going to filter out information. So I will, the agent will come to a conference like yours and they'll get all this great information. And maybe we tell them, oh, you need to do policy reviews with your people. And then they realize I've never done policy reviews with my people. If I suddenly start doing policy reviews with my people and pointing out problems and saying you don't have uninsured motorist or you don't have flood or you don't have this. Now I'm going to look bad and I don't want to look bad. So guess what? We're not going to do that. We're only going to talk to the people we like. We're not going to talk to everybody because I don't want to look bad to my staff and I don't want to point out the fact that I've been a crappy agent for 15 years. So we're just going to talk to the same six people that we talk to all the time that like us. Yeah, And and so that's I think the thing that that gets me is, uh, is it should we 
how did how do you how what kind of success have you had of of, of changing that point zero three percent or I don't know if we want to make it that depressing though Billy let's just maybe say three percent uh, in kind of adapting sort of that that you know, like you said like there are certain things and maybe this is maybe the conversation of that, that like you said there are certain processes that really just aren't worthy of debating like it's just hey this works just do it more factual based like mm-hmm. like you know like we're trying to argue a fact with with you know redefining processes have you found that to be true oh absolutely absolutely people always argue facts it's like but wait a minute well, well, well the main one is like the endorsement process you know in the endorsement process we should look up by phone number if you if your screen doesn't automatically pop you're supposed to verify the ad address you're supposed to look you know take whatever the person's asking you to do but look for a policy weakness at the point and say okay while i'm adding this car taking your payment or whatever i do want to remind you that there's this weakness on your policy and if you were to have a claim this could potentially bite you in the butt now what you choose to do with that is up to you but i am you know i'm required to let you know that this is a problem on your policy so and then send your confirmation email to say that we had this conversation. So to get someone to do that, to get the agent to allow the staff to do that is the hardest part that I have. So you asked me how I overcome, how I bumped that 0.3 up to three or bumped yeah. the three up to six by training the staff myself. Okay. Cause I don't have those issues. I don't have those insecurities. I don't have those doubts. I don't care if you've been a crappy agent for 15 years. You know, I don't have to sit there and deal with your ego, with your emotions, with your insecurities. I don't have to deal with that. I'm, I'm the guy coming from the outside. So I tell agents, if you're really serious about this, let me and my team train your people because your people will do whatever you ask them to do. That's one of the things I've learned. If I go direct to the staff, I'm probably going to get a 60 to 70% buy-in, okay, without any hesitation, because they want to do what's right. They want to do what's best for the customer. They want to do what you pay them to do. It's the agent that filters, and it's the agent nine times out of 10 that is the problem. Now, that's not to say that all staff is good because there's some crappy staff out there. But why why are there crappy staff? Because you let agents, agents allow them to be crappy. I mean, I've had agents that I've explained stuff and they go, oh, Sally would never go for that. I'm sorry. Sally will never go for what? All that, that, that whole emergency contact thing or that, that endorsement or that claim. Oh, Sally will never do that. I can't even get her to do that. I'm like, I'm sorry. Is that not your name on the shingle? Is not is that not you who writes the checks? Are you not the one that the IRS calls in the middle of the night when they're looking for their money? So what the heck does Sally, what, what right does she have to not do that? Oh, I can't lose her because she's been with me for 10 years and the customers love her. That's the number one crap I hear. The customers love her. The customers love anybody that's nice to them. Okay, that doesn't mean that Sally has the exclusivity of niceness in the world. It doesn't mean that. It just means that your customers love her because Sally makes them feel good. Now, that doesn't mean Sally's taking care of them. Okay, that doesn't mean Sally's looking out for them. That doesn't mean Sally's protecting them. That doesn't mean Sally is is cross-selling and doing things to protect your agency and keeping you from an E&O complaint. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that Sally is making them feel good by whatever means necessary. And I hope uh, I hope Sally's got another job lined up after this. Billy. 
<laughs> well, agents, here's the deal. Even if agents recognize what I'm saying, remember what I said, only 0.03 is going to actually do anything about it. So yeah. and, and the, the weaker agents will say, oh, you should listen to this podcast that Joey and Billy did. And now they won't say you should listen to this podcast because this is you and you're really pissing me off. <laughs> They'll say you should just listen to that. And they're hoping that Sally will get something from it that from it that will end up chastising Sally as opposed to them having to deal with Sally. Yeah. Well, the one thing, too, and I think, you know, um, back to, you know, you're not looking out for them. Sally's not looking out for them. Um, it's amazing what happens when you do look out for them, it, you know, just looking out for them in that way that you maybe haven't or whatever, um, buys you so much more leeway and allows even some processes that are not strong to be weak. And, and, but that's the crazy part about, you know, kind of, you know, when you kind of do, like you said, what you're, what you're saying is that if you have strong processes behind that, like, it's just, it's like next level. It is, it is. And it's so simple. It, it, here's the thing I tell people. It is so simple to run an insurance agency. Okay, the government mandates that everyone has our, our primary products, you know, and even our voluntary products are things that if you're responsible in any kind of way, you're going to have. You're going to have life insurance. You're going to have health insurance. You're going to have, you know, some kind of accident or disability benefits, retirement. I mean, even our voluntary products, you know, are things that if you're responsible, you're going to have. So our product, our problem is not our product. And, you know, even though agents say, oh, it's the price, it's the price. Well, it's only the price because you made it the price because there's yeah. always a cheaper insurance. I don't care who you are. There's always a cheaper insurance. Now, does that mean it's going to cover you, going to protect you, going to do whatever? No, but there's always a cheaper insurance. So if there's always a cheaper insurance, why am I spending my time worried about trying to be the cheapest? Shouldn't I just be the best? And and where does that where's the rubber meet the road on where because you know as as consumers as people have you know as friction is reduced mm -hmm. to be able to find the cheapest all the time um, and I understand and, and and it's where's that where's that value point I guess how do we mm -hmm. meet that where the where the best meets you know the, I, I just you know it's like what is the best versus like the best value where do you do you see a kind of a point where absolutely we should focus on that absolutely the the key is let the customer determine the value okay let them determine what they consider valuable you should determine what you consider to be excellent okay if i'm giving you excellent communication excellent service. I'm explaining the policy in a way that when you walk out of my office, you have an excellent representation of what would happen if you don't have the right policy, if you don't have the right coverage, if you don't have the right this, you know, and I'm an independent. So I have excellent companies that I'm representing. I shouldn't try to determine your value. I should only try to determine my excellence. And then you decide what's valuable. Because at the end of the day, if I'm trying to to water down my excellence to meet your value, I'm going to lose a lot more than I'm going to win. So as an example, let's talk about me as a speaker. The reason why, you know, that I, I think people ex accept me as a good speaker is because whenever I talk, I try to talk with with an excellence. I try to deliver an excellent conversation I try to teach you, try to educate you, try to share some wisdom with you, try to do all these wonderful things. And I let that determine whether or not you want to buy from me instead of me trying to sell you something. 
If I have to convince you to use our Inspire Nation, you know, mentoring program, if I have to water down my price, if I, you know, I'll knock 20% off. If I have to do this, it's like when I speak and I travel, I have a certain fee that I charge and I have many people say, hey, that's kind of steep. Can you bring that down? I said, no, because I'm not bringing down my excellence, <laughs> you know, and I do the same thing when I'm dealing with a business. I don't need a hookup. I don't need you to give me a break. I don't need you to water down my price. I just need you to be excellent and let me pay what you deserve to be paid. I was kind of looking forward to booking the average Billy Williams for Elevate. Was yeah, that's not, probably was not on the menu. Was that not on the menu? <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't on the menu. Sorry about that, big guy. No. Well, I mean, yeah, right? Like, because that's, that's the, I think, and, and that all comes back to it. This all comes back to not being able to effectively communicate what, you know, you value, you know, to somebody and how that might different differ from what they might value, basically mm -hmm. identifying a problem. And, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of our job. And back to like the whole, like, I think we've gotten away from in some ways, you know, uh, just a general is a very overgeneralization of the industry of that kind of risk management piece of saying, listen, mm -hmm. this bad thing will happen if you don't do this more than likely nine times out of whatever. Right. And, and having the confidence to do that. And, and when you tell me only, you know, 0.3% chance or 0.03% uh, of people are, are willing to kind of do that. That, that makes me a little sad, unfortunately. But you know what? It's the, the, the rest of us hopefully will benefit and grow and help to bring that other 0.03% up. Now, let's get back to something that I think is really cute cause I, a key because I don't want to miss this. I don't want people to miss this, okay? When we talk about, well, Billy, you're saying that, you know, give excellence and do this and do that. But, Billy, you don't understand. My prices are so out of whack. They're so this. They're so that. But here's the deal. That means if your people are doing excellent if they are truly giving excellence then that means you've established a habit of excellence in your agency so when that trigger happens you know whether that's a a new car or whether that's a policy review or birthday or whatever you've decided there's already a trigger and then there's the there's the action that will happen okay so whenever there's a policy review notice here's the action that happens. And then the third part is there has to be a desired result. This is another breaking point, I think, for a lot of agents. They don't know what to expect or they don't know what, what to desire that customer journey to be or that contact journey. And this happens especially on leads, right? Unless it's a referral, you know, then everybody kind of knows that. But when it's I'm doing an internet lead or I've got a, a web lead or I've got a, a spoke somewhere and I got to lead that way. I don't know. I don't have an expectation of what that desired result should be. I know I want to sell a policy, but I don't know what the journey looks like. And the reason why I don't know what the journey looks like is because I don't have a process for it. I don't have a process to take someone along that journey. So let's look at you and Elevate 19, right? You immediately started working on Elevate 19 right after Elevate 18, right? Or, or during Elevate 18. But you, but you had a desired process. Okay, we're going to contact our speakers, and then after our speakers, we're going to get this lined up, and we're going to have this kind of topic, and we're going to hook, you know, hook this venue up, and we're going to do this. And so, our, you called me or you emailed me, and you say, "Hey, Billy, do you want to speak at the event?" I was like, "Yeah, of course," you know. And then you said, "Okay, fill out this contract." All right. Well, I was traveling, so I didn't fill out the contract immediately. It wasn't. It wasn't a 
wasn't a priority for me. I'm not even gonna lie, it just wasn't a priority. I knew Sorry, I was gonna speak. Still friends, I appreciate that. I knew I was gonna speak. I knew that you wanted me to fill it out. I knew all these other things, but it wasn't a priority for me to jump through jump through hoops to get this done. So what did I do? I delayed it. And what did you do? Because you had a process and because you had a timeline, because you had certain things to happen at certain points and you had checklists and milestones, you emailed me back and said, Billy, I need this by this day. Now, if you didn't know what your course of action was and what my uh, action should be and what your desired outcome was, we never would have had that conversation. And that's why a lot of businesses fall through the crack because they don't have a process that generates the desired result. But first of all, they don't even have a vision for what the process should look like. And then they don't have, they don't move, they can't move forward. Do you think, and this is something that I kind of get on probably more than I should, but do you think that there's just too many processes that they're trying to chase? Yes. Yes. There are only 22 core processes it takes to run an agency. And if any of you guys want to know what those 22 processes are, go out to my website, www.inspireanation.org, and uh, go to the About Us page that's on there. You'll have to tap through. You'll see the little boxes, tap through About Us. And I list the 22 core processes. But once you, once you have those 22 core processes, everything else is gravy. So that's what we really focus on, Joey, is getting those 22 core processes to excellence. Now, are and, they gonna, am I going to generate leads? I'm going to generate a hell of a lot more leads than other people because I'm doing it in an excellent manner. Am I going to generate sales? Yes. Retention? Yes. You know, cross sales? Yes. Trailing documents? Yes. All the stuff that it takes to run an agency, I'm going to generate, including my accounting, including my accountability, including the paperwork that I need to track everything and give to my accountant so I don't go to jail. All those things are going to be done in an excellent manner because I have a desired result. And more importantly, I have a habit that I've established in the agency. This is, I don't know if I expected to get here, but we got here nonetheless. Um, and, and this is, I mean, so this is what I'm saying. Like this is, it's, it, there's always kind of a way to get through it. And I, I'm pretty excited that, you know, we were able to lock you in as like one of the first the kind of returning keynote speakers for Elevate 19. So if anybody is like, hasn't done it yet, elevateconference.com, head over there. Billy's going to be one of our uh, keynote speakers. I'm not, we're not sure exactly what day yet. We haven't set the agenda permanently yet, but uh, he's definitely going to be on there on the main stage for everybody to kind of hang out. Do we, do we know, do we, can we tease anything? Are we sure? Like I'd asked you like what we might talk about. I don't think we got to any of it. Um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't, did we? No, none of it. All right. I'm going to talk about the five things that an agency owner needs to assess after production numbers. Of course, we should always assess our production numbers first, but after those production numbers, there are five things that we really need to assess. And it starts with technology and then from technology, it moves on down. I don't want to give them, I don't give them too much because, well, I guess I'll give them all five, at least tease me with that. Really. Yeah. So yeah. the first thing we want to look at is your current technology. Second is what's the expected journey or workflow for each type of contact interaction, whether it's a customer, whether it's a lead, whatever, what should we expect? What should that workflow look like? Then number three is what I check. What does the job aid book look like? Number four. What does the employee manual look 
like because the employee manual is like the Bible of your business. It sets the culture for your business. And if it's crappy or outdated or you don't use it, you're going to have a crappy culture. And then number five, what does the current and past training schedule look like? Because if you're not training, you're failing, pure and simple. So we're going to talk about those five things. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty. Well, that's another thing too. Is that um, you know everyone just wants to. Everyone wants to look at the current, like you said, valuation. You know, like what, how much they're 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 producing now, and companies aren't starting to really pay attention to that. They're starting to look at other things. They're starting to look deeper, um, and on how they form their partnerships, on where they invest their time and their money. And, um, and it's only going to get you so far anymore, I guess. Would, would you agree with that? Well, production, the problem, again, production is the result of something. Most people look at production as the journey. Production isn't the journey. Production is yeah. the result of the journey. And so we want to make sure that we've got the right pathway, the right workflows, the right processes, the right task, and the right journey. And the results will come. 